episode 289. That's how old I feel right now. Yeah. Okay, Yoda. Nah, Yoda's a lot older than that. You got a ways to go. You're just a young buck in the architectural world. I'm Grogu. <laughs> yeah. I am baby Yoda. Uh, it was better Big. when he didn't have a name yet. That was fun. Really? Yeah, it was. So you just found a brand new digital technology, <laughs> you know, innovation game changer innovation. app on your computer, game right? Game changer. Yes. Yeah. Stickies. No. Stickies. <laughs> the little sticky notes. When you said that, I was like, man, that's been around for a long time. And I did a quick little you know, shortcut search on my computer. And lo and behold, there it is. I should actually open it up and see if there's anything in there, like old information. Of computers and stuff. Do you just all of the information from your yeah. old computer? <laughs> yes, I migrate. Yeah. Okay. Hey, look, got a sticky note here. And who knows how old this is? I wonder if there's any way to even tell how old it is. It should have date. Uh, Mine have dates. Yeah, well, this is not as quite an evolved sticky <laughs> app as you have. Well, look. <laughs> Do your physical sticky notes have dates on them too, all of them? It depends on if it's a project-related note type thing or the countless thousands of username and password. Oh, yeah. My password management system is sticky notes. That's awesome. I actually have two here, and one of them has band names on it. <laughs> okay. Who knows why? And the other one is a quote by Tony. I don't know how to say Tony's last name. Robbins. I'm going to say Tony Shea. No, not Tony. Yeah, I think I could probably enunciate that one correctly. But Tony Shea, who was the CEO, maybe still is, of Zappos, the shoe company. But he had written a book about customer service that was pretty influential back in the day. But the quote is, envision, create, and believe in your own universe, and the universe will form around you. Say that one more time. Envision, create, and believe in your own universe, and the universe will form around you. In the universe. I have no context for this sticky note. I don't know why it's here, but... It's got to be in the same voice as the guy who does the voiceovers for movie trailers. In a world. Blast from the past. Thanks for that. I'm going to quit that app now. I'm not going to use it. But. <laughs> well, it, it's funny is that my desk is usually littered with sticky notes, like physical like sticky notes. Like real physical sticky notes. Oh, yes. yeah. So you have a history with sticky notes. You used to post your Inktober sketches. They were all sticky notes. You had this constraint of a format that you loved. I did. And I still have all of those sketches when I did the Year of the Stickies, you know? <laughs> I almost need to force myself into doing that again only because I've sort of fallen out of, I won't say love because I still love sketching. It's just... Ain't got time for that? Well, what? no, I guess the excuses is that because I draw so small and so detailed and I usually drew in low light too, which is probably why I now have to have readers. It is. And for some reason, once I started with reader glasses and stuff, the precision just wasn't there. I couldn't feel that I was still doing the quality that I was doing. I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, you don't have to follow the same rules. Change the rules, man. Can I give you some advice? Oh, please. Mr. Old Timer Sketcher now. Get a fatter pencil or mm -hmm. a fatter pen. Get bigger paper and get some more light. And you will be off to the races. You're going to come into your second golden age of sketching if you do that. The one thing that I've always needed to do is loosen up a little. <laughs> I agree, man. People love your sketches. And this is why people subscribed, followed your Instagram account. Right. Because of that. Yeah, incredible stuff. I know what you mean about the detail, that you have an incredible amount of detail. It's like the drawing is never done, is how it comes across. I drew with the double lot micron pen. And the level of detail, I used to draw the nail heads in the dilapidated buildings and stuff that I would draw. I would draw the nail mm -hmm. heads in the boards. 
it's funny because you're thinking through the construction details of these stick houses that you were drawing. Yeah. Dilapidated, falling over, hanging off the edge of a cliff, stick houses. One of my other favorite mediums of drawing with, still on paper, but mm. I love not fountain pens. I still draw with fountain pen, but just a regular old ballpoint pen, a regular old big ballpoint pen. You're weird. I like that. I know you're into that. And I get it from an illustration point of view because, man, you can get detail. You can do shading. Yeah. You can do a lot of stuff with a ballpoint that you can't do with other pen types. You definitely can't go there with a gel pen. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to go there with a fountain pen. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to go there with a felt tip pen. It is pretty incredible. And at the same time, they're just the cheapest cheapest crap on the planet. Exactly. That's kind of what's so cool about it, too. My favorite one are the old little... Can you hear that? Yeah. I have Got one too. a ton of... I'm using it right now. I really can't talk. I was going to say, I have tons of the little clicky, black, government-style ballpoint pen. And yeah. normally, because those would come with a fine tip, and you still get that detail, but you can get the shading, the shadow, everything that you're talking about. There's a level of uncontrollability to it because- Is that a word? It, it <laughs> is now, yes. Hey. Oh, th- this might be the show title, A Level of Uncontrollability. There you go. Plain and simply, if I earned my architecture degree, I earned the right to make up Arca speak. <laughs> it's true. That's what we do. God, how many times you do you sit in an architectural lecture and you just hear the words and you're just like, <laughs> eyes roll back. <laughs> yeah. Here we We're go. Juxtaposing the interstitial <laughs> space of the <laughs> the curvilinear of the rectilinear of the <laughs> experiential. Yeah. Exactly. Where did ballpoint pens start for you? Because for me, it was learning to write in cursive. Talk about aging ourselves. But this was fourth grade. I was in Mrs. Preston's class. She had the most amazing handwriting and I did everything I could to emulate that. And I was pretty good at it. And I remember just like it was an art. And then I loved art. It still is an art to me today. I'm writing in cursive as we speak, show notes into my <laughs> notebook and because it's fast and it's quiet. So I'm not typing while we're recording here. That is probably the main reason I'm doing it this way, clicking the background and not being able to pay attention to what you're saying. Sure. But this is the way that this is the way. This is the way that I choose to write. And it stems back to The ballpoint pen is an instrumental part of that because of the way it rolls across the page. In order to facilitate cursive writing, the ballpoint pen was a very special instrument for that to happen for me. I don't really recall if my school used it when we were learning cursive. There is an incident that I remember using a ballpoint pen. I'm not sure I want to admit it on, you know, for the... Is the statute of limitations up yet? And that's all that really matters. It is. It clearly is. When my father passed, I was going through a lot of his stuff, and I found this particular offense, should we call it? And one of my first recollections of using a ballpoint was to, all right, fine, admit it, peel the band-aid off, reveal to the world that I was a childhood forger. Everybody was, Cormac. But honestly, you should have seen... You were good at it. ...how good I was of my father's signature. You were thinking about going into that as a profession. Maybe it was a calling. I'm honestly tearing up from holding back the laughter. So to say that my math grades were not the best. And there's one grade in the world back when we were kids that you could easily change to a B. And I, in math class, got a lot of Bs, shall we say. 
And this was for whose edification? Your mother's? No, this is my father. Okay. And so when the report card came home and was never shown to my father because, oh no, I didn't get my report card. It was because I didn't want him to see my elementary level forgery attempts. <laughs> well, uh, with practice comes perfection. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, I can't believe I just... <laughs> Doesn't it feel good to get that off your chest? Like Now you can live freely. This has been weighing on you for so long and holding you back. <laughs> True. This is all good. I wanted to start off this episode, since we are on such a tear here. You guys recently, you and your daughter went on a field trip. I would love to hear this. Speaking of people who do well in school versus people who don't like you, I think your daughter is on a different path, on a different trajectory. She is, which is also... There's a theme here. Thanks for now bringing it into it. Backstory is that my daughter wants to go to law school. And her vision is that she wants to go to the University of Michigan for undergraduate. And she wants to go to Harvard for graduate Harvard Law. She got it all figured out. How old is your daughter? She's 15. Okay. She's got it all figured out. She does. She needs to slow her roll. I happen to be looking at tuition for both of those institutions. And Sure. Don't do that. You never do that. You scare yourself. But so this past weekend, we just happened to be driving around. And so I was like, because I've seen photographs of the University of Michigan's law quad, and it's an amazing collection of buildings. And I was just like, you know what? I want to show it to her. It was on Sunday. And so we drove over there, pulled up, got out of the car. And I was just like, all right, come on, let's go. And she just looks at me and she says, what? I'm like, you got to see this. If this is what you want to do, you got to see it. And she's just like, can we? So, of course, since I was a childhood forager, obviously a life of crime is in my wheelhouse, right? <laughs> but <laughs> you can't tell me that there's not a single architect out there listening to this that hasn't done this, that you just basically walk into a building and you act like you belong there because you want mm -hmm. to see it. You don't want to disrupt anything. You just want to see the building. I just wanted to see the buildings, but I wanted her to. Your daughter's learning new skills. <laughs> exactly. I wanted her to actually see this. And the thing that was most amazing about this is that the look on her face of amazement, of astonishment, because here we are walking through a collegiate Gothic building and it's so exquisitely done, so beautiful. And they've just recently done some renovations to it. So there's this blending of this collegiate Gothic that is closing in on 100 years old, if not older, in some of the older buildings. And then there's all of the new stuff that they were doing. And it's just this beautiful blend. And there are architects out there that can do this beautiful interweaving of classical architecture and modern architecture that really contributes to and sings with each other. So instead of trads versus mods, it's trads and mods working together, collaborating. It's a beautiful collaboration between the two old courtyards are now these glassed atriums that are just this beautiful, comfortable space that they can still sit outside under the sun, but it's still inside and you feel like you're outside. And they did a wonderful job of all of this. But the thing that I wanted to show is that we just started walking around and just the feeling of being in a college environment, seeing what is in store for her if she does actually go to law school. I mean, everybody has a dream and then sometimes it changes. I don't know if she absolutely could, but I wanted her to see what the college environment is. And her eyes were so wide. The smile on her face was just amazing. We walked into this beautiful law library. Such a beautiful place. Not allowed to take any pictures of the interior spaces. Let me guess, that didn't stop you. 
I hear your track record that you're presenting today. No, I respect it. I respect it. I mean, it was completely filled with students. The look on their faces as they're buzzing back and forth and going in and out of the doors and stuff. You see this look of such stern seriousness. I know that's redundant, but it was just, they were so serious about like everything that was on their mind. They weren't really paying attention to where they were. They were pay paying attention to what was in their head. So it was a little like, oh, there's, I even mentioned to her, I was like, these are some serious students. And she goes, well, they should be. They're studying law. Like, okay, then we do college buildings. It's what we do. That's what I'm doing right now. And that's what you did. You know, what was interesting is as we're walking around and just looking at this whole blend of the student life and everything else, thinking about what we do, I'm amazed, honestly, sometimes at the environments that we get to work on. I'm thinking about all these stern-faced children that are rushing back and forth and they're heading into the law library or they're heading to some study group. We've caught some people in an alcove, a little study alcove, and they were working. All these little hidden spaces of both these old traditional collegiate Gothic buildings and these modern buildings and the spaces that are created, the found spaces, the intentionally unintentional spaces. You know what I mean. Yeah. We all know what I mean. This is a collection of well-done buildings. And for some reason, I'm just a sucker for collegiate Gothic anyway. There's just something mm -hmm. about it. I appreciate the shadow play of buildings. And sometimes there's just nothing better than, you know, technically I looked it up. And even though, yes, it is collegiate Gothic, the term for this particular style of building that is on Michigan's campus is English Gothic. Didn't really know there was a discerning feature of English Gothic. But the more and more I looked at the photos that I did take of the exterior, the more I was like, you could just see that almost English regality to it. I don't know if that's even yeah. right. You just sensed it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But the illegal part wasn't really illegal because the doors were open. Was just the fact that we kind of snuck in and I could see her heart racing. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, are we going to get in trouble? I'm like, the most they could say is, hey, you don't belong here. But right. how many times do we do that though? Like in buildings, what we just want to see, we like, we'll walk in there and act like we're supposed to be there. And if somebody comes up and confronts us. Pull out your business card. <laughs> exactly. We usually cave and we just say, hey, look, I'm an architect. I just had to see this building. I just wanted to walk in, take a look at the atrium, the lobby space. I won't go any further than this. A lot of times when I've actually been confronted by somebody, they're like, oh, let me get this person and maybe they can show you around. Yeah. I've actually had that happen a couple. Exactly. I've had that happen to me a couple of times where I clearly shouldn't have been there and they probably should not have let me just traipse around in there. But I just wanted to see the place. I want to see what that looks like. What does it look like when you're traipsing around? <laughs> Most of the time when they say, don't take any pictures, I don't take my phone out anymore because the screen being on is a dead giveaway. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I'll have my DSLR in my hand and no cap on there. And I'm like, look, I'm just going to hang it. It'll just be hanging from my hand. <laughs> I'm like, as I'm hanging from my hand and I've got the grip on there. So it doesn't look like I'm actually putting my finger on the button. I'm putting my finger on the other button. Yeah. I think we're at like three felonies now for you in this episode. So do your daughter walk away with any sense of further, this is what she wants? Oh, yeah. It sounds like she just loved it. She was totally excited. She was like, this place is fantastic. She goes, I can't wait to come here. I wonder how many other kids would be inspired to do something if they just had that experience to go see it. Because 
think a lot of times, first of all, it doesn't even cross their mind. And it's not like a field trip that most people would do, right? It's not like we're going to go look at something because we don't have a reason to. And nobody has the time and the wherewithal to make stuff like that happen. But I wonder if it did happen more often, if parents were just like, hey, let's go check out UCLA. Let's go check out USC, whatever the local university is to wherever you are. Because they are an open campus and you can do that and you can get a sense of student life and you can walk into the food court, you can walk into the library without a problem at all. Right. And like you said, you can get into the lobbies of the different parts of the campus. I remember like the College of Environmental Design at Cal Poly Pomona, students cut through it on an hourly basis because it was between the parking lot and the main part of campus. And it's like nobody was ever going to stop anybody from walking around there. Didn't matter how old you were. It's a college campus. It was open to anybody. Well, we tend to preach a lot about experience, right? And I wish that, let's take like the case of ACE. I absolutely love ACE for the simple fact that we're opening the doors to let people peek in to what these professions are before they ever really get into college. This whole idea of prototyping a potential future is way more than what most people would do, which is, I want to be this without knowing a thing about exactly. it. Exactly. When you were going to architecture school, how many architecture offices or how many architecture schools did you visit? Zero. Exactly. You don't even have to finish that sentence. <laughs> I thought I knew what it was all about. Oh, yeah. And that, yeah. that's exactly my point. There's so many students who, like my youngest, I want to be a game designer. What if we talk to some people who like, and what's interesting is there's like no interest to actually do that. Like, no, I kind of don't want to ruin my idea of what that is exactly. and face that harsh reality when it actually happens because I'm going to avoid any pain that I possibly can. But the whole idea, and I brought it up, and for those of you who didn't get the reference of ACE, we talked about it in the last episode, so check it out, but it's a ACE mentoring. And the whole idea is to expose the inner workings of the profession to the younger generation who's considering going into that. Or yeah. maybe they're just curious. And I brought up the idea of that Designing Your Life book, which is a Stanford class, which is a fantastic methodology in how to prototype potential futures, things that you think might be the direction you want to go. And it's all about prototyping that to find out if that should be on your list or not. I think that's absolutely fantastic to actually do that. And like you said, I didn't do any of that before. I thought I had it figured out. I thought it was architectural drafting from high school. Right. What a rude awakening when I got <laughs> to Cal Poly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There I always commonly say, if I knew what I was getting into when I went into the army, before I enlisted, would I have? Same thing with architecture. I say the same thing. If I would have known what architecture was all about, would I have pursued a career in architecture? Now, on some level, you're kind of glad you didn't, right? Well, honestly, now being in it well over 20 plus years, I would still say yes. Mm. Would there have been some other things that I would do differently to augment or study alongside of architecture? Like would I have studied business a little bit more or marketing or public speaking or something like that instead of waiting so long into my career to actually be comfortable in front of someone or things like that? But I think I've always been the true believer. My son was learning about Alexander Calder in an art class, and we happened to be living in the D.C. area. And one of Calder's largest works, and funny enough, a big, huge section of the National Gallery of Art, the modern side, the IMP building, had a lot of Calder in it. And right as you walk into this big, massive atrium. Giant one hanging from the ceiling. You see the giant one hanging from the ceiling. And so I was like, oh, wait, you're learning about Calder. Let's go to D.C. and let's learn about Calder 
they're right there front and center. I've always thought that if we have the opportunity to teach them, like, hey, we're learning about the assassination of Lincoln. Okay, well, let's follow the trail of John Wilkes Booth, which literally was in our town. You could basically trace everything that was happening leading up to the assassination. And so we just thought that's the way you do it. Just like with all of these opportunities to learn what you're going to do, why not? It's funny because in California, it's the California missions exactly. and it's the gold rush. It's very West Coast things, right, right? right? And the things that you're saying are very East Coast things. And basically the teachers have to use what's <laughs> at their disposal, True. right? And it's not that you don't learn those other things, but if you have proximity, you utilize that. So it totally makes sense. It was just funny because the things that you're mentioning, like I did that because my parents took me to DC. And so we did some some of those things. We went to Gettysburg. Right. It's just a completely different set of things on the West Coast. Yeah. Well, my son who's in school now, he started looking at all of the regular schools that everybody else was looking at. We were living in Maryland. Hey, I'm going to look at Maryland. I'm going to look at a couple of Virginia schools. I'm going to look at a couple of Pennsylvania schools and stuff and see what's out there. And a lot of his friends applied to schools that were closer. We go camping a lot up in northern Michigan or in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And he just loves that. It has an impression on him. And he decided, hey, I want to go to school at Northern Michigan University. Okay. You've never been there. You've never really heard of it. So one day before he even applied, I was like, are you seriously considering this? He goes, yeah. Okay. Let's go take a look. Let's make sure you're really interested in doing this. Now, he ultimately did apply before we actually drove up there, but he got accepted. He got accepted to a bunch of different places and had obviously this decision to make. And we drove up there and it was like in the dead of winter, snow all over the place. It's a good time to go because that's what's going to truly test him. Exactly. He's up there right now studying and he loves it. But you have to experience these places. We've got a friend of the show that is currently in New York City, and he was at the Met looking at his favorite artist, Pollock. And we were just chatting about it. So kind of a fan of Pollock as well. He was just like, I've had this coffee book table of Pollock's work for years, and I haven't seen any of his big work. I'm sure he's seen other mm -hmm. work, but he's there. I'm going off on a tangent of experiences, but it's all about getting out there and enriching your knowledge. Really connecting the physical world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Actually connecting the thoughts with the place is a huge piece of it. I think it's interesting to just listen as we have these kinds of conversations. And I'm thinking like as a listener of this podcast, which I think a lot of people have been with us for a long time, probably understand why we talk about this stuff on an architectural podcast, even though it's tangential in a way, but we've been on this journey for over 10 years on yeah. this podcast and people are experiencing these things with us. You're talking about your kids in college. When we started this podcast yeah. over 10 years ago, it was a very different conversation about kids back then, yeah. but it was still part of our life and our career and piece of the puzzle that is the career of an architect, which is how do you balance all this stuff? How do you enable the next generations to experience the world? What are the values? What are the family values? What are values you think that a lot of people should have in societies? Anyway, I thought it was interesting. And another thing that happened, I'm crafting a segue right now, Cormac. Okay. I'm an audio professional. I could tell. Something else that happened in our past 10 years is you and I both got licensed. <laughs> and we teased about this topic on the last episode, or just foreshadowed it a little bit. But something that we went through, you and I both, which I would call it a painful experience. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, which is getting your license. And it's not just that getting your license is difficult. It's that getting your license is difficult after I looked and I got yeah. mine 17 years after I graduated. 
and I had to balance all this other stuff. And I think that's why I think of it as a difficult scenario to go through rather than just doing it right out of college, which if part of your goal is becoming a licensed architect, just get it over with. (laughs) Make it as easy as possible because it only gets harder. So anyway, there was some news. Before we launch into that, funny enough, which I knew it was meant for us to be together, is it literally took me 17 years, exactly 17 years to get mine as well. Yeah. For some reason, I always felt a bit of shame with that. Oh, yeah. This is why I feel so good that you were able to admit (laughs) this forgery thing that you've done, right? Well, I remember sitting, we were at an AIA conference and we were out to dinner with a group of friends and somehow, some way, the chatter started to rumble that Cormac didn't have his license. And then somebody blurted out, one of our friends, who is a blurter, Cormac, you don't have your license? And just the embarrassment, you know. The judgment, the room full of architect. It was judgment. It was embarrassment. It was just like, oh, man. And for some reason, even on earlier episodes of podcasts, you can almost hear me masking the fact that I didn't have a license. Well, the fact is also that once you did get your license, you also masked that fact. I did do that, too. I did do that for a while. (laughs) What you're talking about kind of like blew your whole. See, we're audio professionals. Kind of like your segment was supposed to be right. smooth. And then you're like, oh, it took me 17 years. And then I was just like, wait, doing the math real quick. It took me 17 years too. Well, the reason we're bringing this up is because NCARB has eliminated a policy that we had to Twice. deal with. I personally dealt with this. And I know a lot of other people have just plain old not become architects because of this policy. And what's weird about this is, I'll read the headline now, NCARB eliminates the ARE rolling clock policy. There's no asterisk here, but there freaking should be one because... NCARB issues an apology to everyone that they screwed over the course of the last, I don't know, say 17 years? Oh yeah, no, none. There's no apology here. And it's not, we're all NCARB haters here, but I think it is valid critique for us to do. And we are licensed architects. We have gone through NCARB to obtain that license. And I think any organization out there needs to be able to be not really held accountable. Yeah, maybe held accountable, but also just critiqued because this is our profession. We're a big piece of it. And we actually have earned the status of being able to talk about this. So did you receive an email from the AIA once NCARB announced it? I did. I think I did. Well, I got an email from the AIA basically announcing that they had eliminated the rolling clock, but they were also saying, please share your experiences. (laughs) I'm like, I will. I will be. (laughs) How much time you got? Well, let's explain what the rolling clock policy is. Let's just start there. Or at least what it used to be. It actually isn't in effect yet from what I'm reading right now. It says it's effective May 1st, 2023. So it's still in place. So man, if your rolling clock expires before May 2023, extra hurt on you. I guess. I'm on the NCARB's website. And here's mm-hmm. an interesting fact of one of them. Well, actually, you know, I'm not going to get into that interesting fact yet. Let's just talk about what the rolling clock is. The rolling clock is, you said April or did you say May? It says on April 30th, 2023, the policy will be replaced with a new scoring validation, well, validity policy. It seems a little weird. Whatever. Yeah, I'm looking at the press release and it has May 1st. You know, it's one day apart. Okay. Yeah, one day apart. What they should do is put it on April Fool's because they fooled us quite a bit over the years. So the ARE rolling clock was when you were sitting for your ARE test, your architectural registration examination tests, you had five years from the start of your passing your first test 
to complete all of your tests. Now, people are going to say, five years? Mm -hmm. Why would it take you five years? <laughs> I'm laughing because it took me 17. I'm laughing because further down, there's a couple of different things about exam divisions in the ARE 3.1 exam divisions in the ARE 4.0, exam divisions in the ARE 5.0, and then the upcoming ARE 6.0 that will be forthcoming. It's not there now. Right now we're at the 5.0. I started taking my exams in the 3.1. Just to be clear, real quick, and I'm tracking with you, I started in 3.1 also. Just to be clear, if you didn't finish all of them in five years, that doesn't matter. What happens was the first one that you took the five years starts then. The first time you passed one, yes. the five-year clock starts then. If you go over five years, they start taking those exams away. Exactly. So if it took you longer than five years, which in many cases, a lot of them have. In fact, I was just talking to somebody who I knew that when I just started working with Air St. Gross, they had started taking their tests. And now it's eight years later and they're still not done with their tests. So I know life has totally gotten in the way and they've had children. We experienced all sorts of change and upheaval and just life gets in the way. It just happened. COVID. And what's interesting about it is, is they definitely had suffered this rolling clock issue as well. So if you lost that test, then it was, that's just it. And then a lot of times, and this happened between the transition between the ARE 3.1 and 4.0, they had a little matrix. Do you remember that matrix? Mm -hmm. Yes, because they were tracking. Exactly. If you took this test and this test, it would replace this test in 4.0. If you took this test, this test, this test, oh, it was just. It was crystal clear too. It was like if you watch those murder mystery ones where they've got this pegboard of all these different photographs of all the different suspects <laughs> and they like, and this person was murdered here. And it draws all these lines. In. With the yarn between them, like a serial killer. Totally like the ARE transition matrix. And I was looking at when we changed from ARE 3.1 to 4.0, and it just happened to be right in the same time as I was moving from Florida to Maryland. And it just so happened to be in this time period, what was it called? Oh yeah, the recession of 08, which everybody was in panic mode of like, am I going to have my job? Can I get a job? Are the firms going to close down? Which there was plenty of them that happened. The reason why I ended up in Maryland mm -hmm. and of all places and didn't know anything about it. It was really interesting because I got caught in that, oops, I didn't pay attention to the matrix. I could have taken one test and saved three of my tests. Mm. Yeah, that was an extra wrinkle because, yeah, if you wanted, what were they called even back then, like practice management or something, you had to take like these other two tests to make up that one. And it was like, if you didn't get that scheduled and taken care of and weeks of studying for it ahead of time, could you go back to your earlier comment? Like, why would it take you five years? I remember when I started off on that journey with the flashcards and stuff, it was like, study for this test for six or eight weeks before you take it. And then after you take it, goal is to forget that stuff as fast as possible. Why? Because you need the space in your brain for the next one. And you have to recover from that traumatic experience. The test centers are horrible, oh, yeah. right? And everybody yeah. knows what these test centers look like. They look like the inside of a solitary confinement prison. This is the experience you go through. Back then, you didn't know if you passed or failed. You got a letter in the mail weeks later that told you if you passed yeah. or failed without any explanation of anything. Period. It was like you failed. Enjoy your day. This has always been an opaque process. And you've got this rolling clock, right? And so why is it a big deal? Five years? Because 
If you don't get them all done in that five years, you have by far forgotten the ones that they start taking away. By far. And you're basically starting those over again. I think the idea of all of this really was like, architects need deadlines. If they don't have deadlines, <laughs> they'll just drag this out forever. I'm sure it did work in some ways for some people to say like, yeah, I'm just going to get it done because if I don't have a deadline, there's no urgency to it. It's not going to happen. And on the other hand, the unintended consequences of that, if that really were the case, it's just screwing, screwing, screwing yeah. tons of people because like you said life gets in the way you're having kids you're on maternity leave you're trying to get these yeah. projects done who wants to go home the culture of architecture that we grew up in was oh, yeah. you work yeah. late hours all the time right and so what are you going to do when you yeah. go home at 10 o'clock at night study when do you do your best studying oh yeah definitely at 10 o'clock at night all i want to do is de-stress from work exactly exhausted from a 14 hour a day and you're like oh yeah you know what i should do we should study yeah, it's a long drawn out process. It's designed to be like that. And there's still many exams. I don't know how many there are now, five or yeah. six, right? It used to be nine back in the day, and at least in California. And there's an extra right. one in some states like California. So it's this big, tremendous deal. And then once you got licensed, it was like, thanks, now the state can collect money. You're way more liable and your firm's <laughs> not going to give you a raise. It's, right? like, it's like, congratulations, you still got a deadline. Exactly. You still got projects to work on. You got deadlines. We're not going to let you sign the drawings anyway. There's a whole cultural thing around this. There's obviously also the perception like, oh my gosh, you're not licensed. How can you call yourself? There was the stigma of what do you call yourself? Here I am, a project manager working on large scale projects, hundreds of millions of dollars, and I can't even call myself an architect. <laughs> yeah. And the fact is, here's much of an architect as the architects in air quotes who are working on the project who are 10, 20 years younger. Than it was interesting. It was weird. It's still to this day, a lot of people are like, well, what do I call myself? If I'm not an architect because I haven't passed the licensure exam, then what am I? At least engineers have engineering training. Which, for some reason, architects seem sometimes aghast by that as well, because they're like, don't call me an AIT. You have training wheels on, literally. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing. So the rolling clock, we had this transition matrix between the 3.1 and the 4.0. And if you didn't hit that transition mm -hmm. matrix and you lost them, like I lost three of my exams. I think I lost two. Yeah. And these cost money. They cost time. They cost effort. And the tests are different, completely different. So then we get right. into 4.0 and then 4.0 has all of its divisions. So now you've got to go back and you've got to retake some of those. But now you also have this weight of the rolling clock on there. You have that. And usually we're talking about the next version. And what you don't want to do is go through that matrix thing again. But what is interesting about that is according to the CARB website, previously expired ARE 4.0 divisions will be reinstated on May 1st, 2023. They've seen the error of their ways, at least in the 4.0 ones. And that does help. The guy that I was talking to earlier today, who's taken him now close to eight years, the test that he's lost, he will get back. And now he's under a 5.0, but what does that mean? So there's going to be an interesting transition. They've got a little transition calculator here. So what if he's like taking that test that that doesn't count? Yeah. You redundantly took this test. You didn't need to. <laughs> oh, Exactly. They're not going to give them credit for a different test, that's for sure. No. Maybe they should just refund people some money and like pay them for all their pain and suffering. Or it's just like, you know what? You've suffered enough. I think they could afford it. Here. I mean, there's been some posts out there on Arconnect and stuff about how much it's public information about how much the executives at NCARB make. Oh, I mean, yeah. The CEO makes over 500K a year. It's insane. Wow. CEOs and architecture firms <laughs> don't make that much. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, I laugh because it's true. Yeah, it's, it's painful. I laugh because yeah, it saves right. me from crying. So there's this asterisk thing, this invisible asterisk, which is that for current test takers, this means the validity of their ARE5 divisions will be extended through the next iteration of the exam, which is going to be likely called ARE 6.0, which it says mm-hmm. effectively doubles score validity to at least 10 years. So it's not like this is eliminated forever. So basically they're saying that your division numbers won't go past whatever number they are in plus one division wise, right? So it's like <laughs> if you pass a five, it's good through six, but it's not going to be good through seven. They're saying basically we redo the test every five or so years. So you've got like a 10 year shelf life. If you started right when division five came out, you have until the end of division six. So even though there's no rolling clock, the validity still only accounts for two versions of the test is what it sounds like to me. So here's an answer to your question. So here's a bulleted response. ACARP will provide refunds for candidates who have had exam appointments scheduled or have purchased seat credits that are no longer needed Mm. due to reinstated divisions. Unfortunately, NCARB cannot offer refunds for candidates who retook a division of the ARE that had expired under a previous policy. So if you've taken a test and it expired and then you've taken the replacement, but then they reinstate the one that you passed previously that that dropped off. No, it still falls under the unfortunately NCARB cannot offer a refund. It's more like won't. So they could. (laughs) They shouldn't say unfortunately NCARB can't offer they won't offer. It's interesting because I think all of us are good, great, this is fantastic. And then it's the, oh, but remember what you did to me. Everybody's got a story. This is one of those things. Well, not everybody, but tons and tons of people have these, you know, that this that that go back to the days, you know, sitting at drafting boards at the Fairplex, uh, doing your test in the same room as 300 other people because it was only offered twice <laughs> a year or once a year in Southern California, yeah. once a year in Northern California. People going psychotic because of all the stippling happening at the same time as people are wrapping up their tests. Like those, <laughs> those are crazy war stories too. Those veterans have no sympathy for what the younger generations have gone through. <laughs> no, 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 no. So since we started off on talking about my shady past, sure, whatever we want to call it, we can close by talking about. So as we talk about the NCARB, as we talk about all of these different tests that we've taken and all of this other stuff. When I was moving, I was packing up all of my architectural libraries and everything else. I had tons and tons of binders, study material from ARA 3.0, from 4.0, and 5.0, all the different copyright infringements. Felony number four. Everything else. Yep. Man. And I was just chucking them. I'm like, no one needs these anymore. They're all old, out of dated. 3.0, some the drawings in the thing were all hand-drawn. You know, we were talking about sketching and stuff. I'm like, oh, they were hand-drawn. Right. Like, can you believe that they would actually print out a book where something was hand-drawn? I had so much material, so much study material. You know, all the you know, cards that no longer, like all of the AR, you know, 4.0 division flashcards and stuff had all of those. I had right. so much study material. You know, I just ended up chucking it. I mean, the only one that's really valid right now is 5.0. It sounds like 5.0 is going to be going by the wayside you know, in the not too distant future. Yeah. Who knows? You still got a few years on that one. Yeah. Yeah. But it caused a lot of mixed emotion. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to point out a couple other things here. One of them is, it says NCARB will be working with licensing boards across the U.S. to facilitate adoption at the state level. I wonder how open states are going to be to this decision. Is this kind of like federal laws and state laws and the states get to adopt whatever they choose? 
It's already yeah. kind of like that, right? Where some states have different requirements once you've passed all of the NCARB ones to get your stamp in the state, to get your state license. Like California's got what they call the CSE, the California state exam or something like that. It's a California supplemental exam. Arizona has a written test that you mail in, which I wish I could have done that one, right? But some states have no additional requirements. So I just wonder what this is going to lead to. I don't think that everybody's going to be able to completely rely on this press release and maybe even the date of May 1st. That's definitely something right. to keep in mind and check with your local boards and with NCARB to see. The other thing that I put a post up when this news came out that I said was that one of the refreshing things is we are seeing a lot of change happen at these institutional mm. levels with these regulatory agencies and boards and stuff. A lot of this, I think, is coming from pressure from a lot of different things. I'll definitely put younger generations in that column. I'll put COVID in that column and carb. Didn't right. do too well with facilitating test taking during COVID in any shape or form. And I guess I don't know what the alternative would have been, but these changes really can't happen fast enough. There are additional changes that need to be made and bureaucracy is difficult to change, but I applaud that there is change happening. At least we're seeing something. But I really do feel like the future leaders of the profession won't stand for the bullshit of the past. And yes, we had to deal with, you know, this walking 10 miles each way yeah. uphill in the snow to the testing centers, as it were. But that's yeah. just not going to fly anymore. And it's pretty incredible, right? Because I'll weave a little piece of technology into this, right? GPT-4 was shown this week. It was shown this new text-based AI system. It passes all these exams. They're not saying it passes the architect exams. Uh, I have no idea because nobody knows that they exist and nobody cares, <laughs> but it passes the bar exam. It passes the SAT, it like passes all these tests. And it's like, what are these tests going to be good for? We go to school to learn how to learn. We don't go to school to learn all the answers. And these tests basically force you to right. memorize, quote unquote, the answers. And like I said earlier, as soon as you take these tests, your goal is to promptly forget them so that you have room in your brain to cram for the next one. I don't know that this is the answer for how you get a license to become an architect anymore in a world that has changed significantly, even in the last five years, mm -hmm. when it comes to technology and being able to get the answers. There were so many times when I took a test, I'm like, I would never need to know this. I would always look it up. I would always call a friend. They test you on stuff that nobody in their right mind needs to know. And I think a really good hard look right. needs to happen at this whole process. Education needs to change. Licensing needs to change. Insurance needs to change. Contracts need to, like all of this stuff needs to be updated to the modern era in very smart yeah, yeah. ways like you don't just change it wholesale but you do go in and you really pay attention and you get your best people on this stuff and you change it you move on there's no reason that people need to suffer the same way we did to become architects they don't what we need is we need a future of architects and all of these barriers that have been in the way that are keeping people back from achieving that is hurting our profession more than they know if you want to have people share stories on your website about how this new policy affects you, there are so many people traumatized by this process, they're just not even going to share it because they don't want to relive any piece of it. Or you get the really angry stuff, right? <laughs> right. You look at a few of the comments that's actually on the NCAR blog about it, and they're like, well, I applaud this decision and stuff. And then you have follow-ups to that. It's just like, yeah, I wish this happened when I was doing mine, or this, that, and the other. And we've talked in the past about how we were basically brought up 
reliving the bad habits of the generation before us. And we just kept pushing those habits down the road to newer hires and stuff like that to have the new generation basically say, none of this makes sense. This is all BS. Why are we still doing this? Yeah, right. People actually listening and actionable changes happening. Changes are really happening. It's fantastic. If enough people say that this rolling clock is stupid, and they finally say, okay, yeah, you're right. It is. That's fantastic. I mean, keep pushing for the change in the profession to make it the profession that you want, not the one that you were given. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I feel like nowadays it's easier than ever to be real on the internet now, like post your actual thoughts and feelings. Whereas it's interesting right. to me for you to be reading comments on the NCARB website. Like I would have never put a comment on the NCARB website, especially <laughs> if I was unlicensed. It was like, I don't want to become a target. I don't want them to look me up. I wouldn't let them know that, you know, yeah. anything about me that they don't absolutely need to know. Nowadays, it's very different. There's a few places on the internet, like I was mentioned earlier, that there are connect forums. People are super real on there and they're not afraid to post their opinions, their thoughts and their feelings. And it's nice to be able to have those. We didn't right. have those back in the day. It was like, of course, these conversations happen, yeah. but nobody was going to say these things out loud to NCARB or to the AIA. And maybe they still don't. And maybe right. you're just going to get like the weakest sauce answers on those questions that they're asking. Who even knows if they're publishing the full breadth of the feedback that they're getting? I have no idea. Right. But on a publicly forum-based website, you're going to get it all. And I bet you there's some serious stuff on websites like that. I'm not looking it up. I'm not going to put a link in our show notes to it. But those are places where you can get like the real pulse of the injury. Injury? The injury. The industry. That's just, yeah, Freudian slip there. But exactly. they do exist, and it's gr it's great that they do exist, and those are places where you can actually get the sentiment of what's going on in the profession from all different age groups, not just going to be the young folks. There's people like Donna, who's been on ArConnect for a very long time. She's been a fantastic yeah. contributor there. That site is what it is because of people like that. Right. That's all good stuff out there. I think it's refreshing and reassuring to see these incremental changes and like architecture, they are slow, but they are happening. So that's, like I said, reassuring. Yeah. It's probably only taken, what, 10 years of people bitching about the rolling cloud. More than that, but probably 10 years of serious work to actually make it happen. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Feel better now? Got this off our chest? I think it was worth talking about. Yeah. I don't know why I really provided information of my criminal past, but whatever. Yep. Well, I'm sure more bombs will be dropped on future episodes. I'm sure. 